it's noteworthy that it was in association with the worship of God that Hannah was suffering. However, Hannah did not allow Penina's actions to keep Hannah from going to worship. She did not allow herself to be so discouraged, even though she was feeling bitter, and even though she was weeping uncontrollably, yet she persevered and continued in her attendance at the house of God. She continued in her worship of God. Application. Unfortunately, there can be unpleasant circumstances associated with attending worship. There are sometimes frustrations that we encounter that we need to persevere through. For example, if you have very young children, it's a hardship to some degree to get them ready for church. You've got to wake them up, you've got to feed them, you've got to dress them, you've got to bathe them, you've got to do all that it takes to get the children out the door. And I'm sure some Sundays are more frustrating than others. And things happen that you cause a certain setback, and you say to yourself, is it worth it? Do I really want to go to church this morning? Or, perhaps your children don't respond well to the nursery. And they're young and they're placed back in the nursery, but they don't really like to go. And so every time you, you drop them off, there's this unpleasant crying. And uh, you just say to yourself, well, do I really want to go through that again this Sunday? Maybe there's a family member that doesn't want to attend. I remember as a child growing up, one of the things that we had to face, my brother didn't want to go to church. And every Sunday he would make it as miserable as he could for everybody else that was going to church. Because he didn't want to go. And he wanted to be able to stay home. And my parents said, no, you've got to go. I remember sitting in the back seat of our Impala uh, automobile. And listening to my brother complain. And thinking to myself as a six-year-old, why don't you just be quiet? You know, why do you have to go through this every Sunday? He made it an unpleasant experience. Maybe you've got to battle a family member or a situation. And today, things are so much more difficult than they were. When I was growing up, there are so many activities that are held on a Sunday that weren't held on a Sunday when I was a young person and a teen. And so parents find themselves in conflicting situations of some people want to go here and some people want to go there. And, and yet you want to go to church and there are so many things that are tagging and pulling and tugging at the family that it can make it difficult to attend church on a regular basis. It could have been easy for Hannah to say, well, let's forget it. But she didn't. She didn't. She persevered. And I encourage you, and I'm thankful this morning that you are here and that you are persevering. And I don't know what you faced this morning as you were planning to come, but maybe you had a difficult decision. Am I going to be in church this morning or not? And maybe there are some things that are happening. Maybe you're not feeling the best. Maybe you've got a headache and, and uh, you're sitting here and saying, uh, I guess I ought to go. Well, thank you. Thank you for persevering. Thank you for the example it is to your children. Thank you for the example and encouragement it is to others. 
Now, sometimes we need to persevere. But that statement, will you bring your children regularly to the house of God uh, to worship? And will you demonstrate uh, reverence uh, to the house of God? Uh, it's commendable. And Hannah proved to be a good example. Secondly, Hannah was committed to public worship and the attendance at God's house despite the hypocrisy that she encountered when she worshipped there. Notice verse 3. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice of the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And then there's almost this aside. And you might wonder why it's there and introduced at this particular moment. But it says, and the two sons of Eli... Uh, and uh, Hophni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And then it goes on in verse 4, when the day came. So we just have this aside, just a mentioning of Hophni and Phineas. Why are they introduced in our text at this particular time? Well, the answer is because they were just miserable individuals. And when they were going to go to the house of God, unfortunately, they were going to encounter Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, and they were priests. So let's take a moment to consider Hophni and Phinehas. If you turn with me to chapter 2, verse 12, you see how they are characterized. 1 Samuel 2, 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Worthless men. The word worthless is translated in the NIV as wicked. They were wicked men. It's a euphemism in the word of God for the unregenerate, for the unsaved. They were priests, but they really didn't know the Lord. They weren't really born again. They really weren't serving God with their hearts and their soul and their mind. They didn't even know God. And so they were worthless. They were unregenerate. But it also carries with it the connotation of being useless. We might say good for nothing. They were priests, but they were miserable priests. And if you look at verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They weren't, weren't saved. Verse 13, And the custom of the priests with the people, when, they, when uh, any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron, or pot, all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the men said to him, Thus uh, they may, must surely burn the fat first, then take as much as you desire, they would say, no, but you shall give it to me now. And if it's not, I will take it by force. Now, how'd you, how'd you like that? Somebody, uh, the priests saying to you that they want to uh, not observe the law, 
Uh, they don't want to have the sacrifice the way God says to have it. Uh, they want to be able to eat a raw meat. And if they say, no, that's not right, then they'll say, look, either you give it willingly or we're going to beat you up. We're going to take it from you. And not exactly the way you'd expect a priest to handle himself. First Samuel 2.17 Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. Why? For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Their sin was great because they turned people off. And not only did they turn people off, but people actually despised. They actually hated this confrontation. Can you imagine being a devout Israelite coming with your sacrifice, knowing that you're going to encounter the servants of Hophni and Phinehas, knowing that they are going to threaten you, knowing that they are going to corrupt your, your offering, knowing that they're not going to conduct themselves in the right way. And the scripture says, as a result, people hated the offering. It was in this context that Elkanah and Hannah go to the house in Shiloh in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. They were going in the midst of a situation in which all Israel hated what was taking place. I don't know if you ever got to the place where you hated going to church. When you actually dreaded entering the church doors. What you were going to encounter, who you were going to see, what was going to take place. But it's quite remarkable that Hannah persevered. And that she continued to worship God and continued to offer the sacrifice. And continued to show respect to the house of God. But not only that. The sons of Eli were unrestrained in their wickedness. Unrestrained in their wickedness. If you look with me at verse 22 of 1 Samuel 2. 1 Samuel 2.22. We read, Now Eli was very old. And he had heard that all his sons were doing to all Israel. And how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. These two priests, Hophni and Phinehas, were actually having sex with the women who had dedicated themselves to God's service. They were abusing these women. They were conducting themselves in a very immoral behavior. And the sons of Eli's activities were widely known. It's not as though this was just happening in a corner somewhere. And only those that were uniquely associated with the affairs of the house of God would know what was taking place. Now, this was widely known. First, the offenses were many. Verse 23. He said to them, that is, Eli said to his sons, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people, the evil things, they were not just one isolated incident. 
And it wasn't just one particular area. It's bad enough that they corrupted the whole worship scene by the way in which they were conducting the sacrifices. But then beyond that, they were laying with the women. And not just one woman, but it was a common practice that they were engaged in, a practice that was common knowledge. Notice verse 23. Evil things that I hear from all these people. All these people. Eli had heard these same stories, these same concerns, these same grievances from a number of people. And yet Eli didn't do anything about it. Eli didn't restrain them. Eli didn't remove them from being priests. He allowed them to continue. And not only had he heard it from many sources, but it became common knowledge. Notice verse 24. Know, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. The report that I hear the Lord's people circulating. It was getting around. Everybody knew what was taking place. Everybody understood about these unregenerate, worthless priests who were overseeing the worship at Shiloh and engaged in this sexual promiscuity. Despite all of that, Hannah continues in her faithful attendance at the house of God and worship. And worship. I would submit to you that there would be many who would be unwilling to attend if there were far less grievances that would be manifested. People would say, if that's what it's like, if if that's what's going on in that church, I'm never going to enter those doors again. Those hypocrites. Those evildoers. Those wicked people. And we in no wise want to condone evil or wicked behavior. Certainly, that is not what is to be manifested in the church. But there are many people who throw up their hands because of things they hear in other churches and other situations in which they decide that they are no longer going to be people who attend the worship service. All too often, the actions of leaders are a deterrent to others in attending worship. I've been in situations already in which someone will say, not in our particular church now, but in time past, I've been in a situation where someone will say, you know, why should I go to church? I don't even see the elders there on Sunday night. So why should I go? Well, it's easy to point at someone else's life, someone else's activity, and use it as a justification for one's own behavior. What is remarkable is that Hannah did not succumb to that. She did not use what was taking place at the 
offering of these sacrifices as an excuse to stay home and not be participating in the worship of God. So sometimes we need to rise above the ill-doing of others. Sometimes we can be aware of things that aren't necessarily appropriate, but yet we need to give time for, for God to work and move, and he certainly does, and God deals with Hophni and Phinehas in due time. But in the meantime, it certainly was a miserable situation. But nonetheless, she was faithful in her attendance of public worship. And then thirdly, Hannah was committed to public worship and the attendance of God's house, despite the personal offense that she encountered at worship. Despite the personal offense that she encountered, she encountered at worship. So already, now you've got to put things in perspective. Uh, home life is miserable. And Penina is making it as miserable as it can be for Hannah to go to, to worship. And then there's this awareness that when she goes to worship, she's got to deal with Hophni and Phineas. She's got to encounter these guys. She's got to listen to all this garbage, all the gossip that's going on about what's taking place. And, and she's got to be there. And now, here is the piece, the resistance. Hannah was committed to public worship and the attendance of God's house, despite the personal offense that she herself encountered. We find that when she goes to worship, she is tremendously distraught, verse 9 and 10, because of what's going on in her own life. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, greatly distressed. Hannah had her own set of problems as she was entering worship. Far beyond what was going on in terms of the leadership, far beyond the whole sacrificial system, she had her own issues. And she was personally grieving over the way in which Penina was tormenting her and for her lack of having a child. So she was emotionally vulnerable, to be sure. She was crying uncontrollably. Look at verse 10. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. This, this bitterness means not so much wept with, when we think of bitter, we might think of people that are vengeful or people that are angry. This word, to weep bitterly, really means to be just uncontrollably sobbing. It's one thing to see somebody, and sometimes you see people sitting in church and some tears may trickle from their eyes. It's quite another to hear somebody that's moaning. And, and the groaning and the, and the chest heaving and all the, the tears flowing. It was, this woman was beside herself as she is praying. And she was praying an extremely personal and emotive prayer. Notice verse 11, chapter 1. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, 
If thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy maidservant, and remember me, and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come to his head. Here she is bringing the most personal request that she can give, and she's making the greatest commitment that a mother could give in saying, if you just grant me this child, I'll give him back to you, Lord. And I will dedicate him, and he'll be a Nazarite, which means that this razor will never touch his head. He will never shave his hair. He's going to be consecrated totally to you. Now, think about it. This woman, who is at the emotional breaking point, who is weeping uncontrollably, and who is pouring her out heart out to God, pleading with Him to give her a child that she will in turn give to Him. It's at that very moment that Hannah is confronted by and rebuked by Eli. Verse 12. And it came about as she continued praying before the Lord. So she's in the midst of this prayer. That Eli was watching her mouth. Eli is sitting by the, the post. He's over there watching what's going on. And he sees this woman. And he's wondering, what in the world is wrong with this lady? She's mourning and weeping and and carrying on so? And so he looks at her. And he sees that her lips are moving. But nothing seems to be coming out. And so he concludes, verse 13, that she's drunk. Doesn't seem like normal behavior to him. Doesn't seem like a typical... Worshipper of God. Seems pretty bizarre. And so he goes over to confront her. About being drunk. So she is undeservedly reprimanded by the high priest. Notice verse 14. Then Eli Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Now think about that. The high priest comes. Put yourself in Hannah's shoes. The high priest comes to you. At your weakest, most vulnerable moment. When you are beside yourself. Uncontrollably weeping. And silently crying out to God for deliverance. Only to look up and see the high priest there telling you to get your act together and quit being drunk. How might you respond to that? How might you look upon that situation? Notice with me Hannah's godly response. 
and the respect that she shows for God's house and worship. First, she, res- she respectfully addresses Eli, verse 15. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. No, my Lord. No, my master. She treats the high priest with respect. Man, can you imagine how tempting it would be at that moment to look at the high priest and say, Hey, you don't even have your kids in order. What are you doing coming to me and talking to me about being drunk? Well, I'm not drunk at all. Can you see yourself getting a little exercised? Can you see things as not being exactly fair here? And equitable? But she treats him with respect. She says, no, my Lord. Then she explains her situation to Eli. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have neither drunken wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now, verse 16. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman. Don't look at me as though I'm unsaved. Don't look at me as though I'm unregenerate. And don't treat me like I'm good for nothing. I'm sincere in my worship of God. And notice the way in which she characterizes herself in relationship to Eli, verse 16. Your maidservant. You see the humility there? It's really quite astounding. When it would have been absolutely so easy for her to be offended. And yet, is not offended. Her prayer was sincere and heartfelt. Notice verse 16. For I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. She had been praying fervently, though quietly. So as a result of Hannah's respect shown to God in his house, Hannah is ministered to by Eli. The first thing I'd point out to you, though, is that Hannah receives no apology. Verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. Doesn't say, I'm sorry. Doesn't say, I misunderstood. Doesn't say, I appreciate your response. There is no positive statement on the part of Eli of his own wrongdoing or failure. He doesn't even say, I was wrong. There are some people that until they hear an apology, they're not going to be satisfied. She hears none from Eli. Hannah is comforted. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. Hannah is informed that her prayer will be answered. Verse 17. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And then verse 18, 
She said, let your maidservant and. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate. And then notice these words. And her face was no longer sad. Before she couldn't eat, before she couldn't drink, she goes her way, and now she can eat and drink, and she's no longer sad. Why is she no longer sad? Because she hears the thing that she desperately wants to hear, and that is she's going to have a child. She's going to have a child. It was all worth it. She was ministered to in ways that she couldn't have imagined. God met with her and answered her prayer. It was a great blessing that she was at worship that day and prayed as she did. And God met with her despite all that she encountered and experienced. Sometimes, unfortunately, we encounter situations when we come to worship in which we are offended. People may accuse us of something we didn't do. Maybe people treat us in a way that they shouldn't. One situation that uh, I became acutely aware of happened in, in one of our churches. It was a Sunday morning. People were gathered for worship just like this. And there was a woman, a, a lady that was there, that had a very young child that they decided not to put into the nursery, but brought them into the worship service for whatever reason. And the baby started crying during the sermon. And it just really started to bother the, the pastor. Because he's trying to get a little loud. He's trying to overtalk the baby and it's not happening and so on. So he stops. Quits preaching. Comes down out of the pulpit area. Down to the pews. Picks up the baby out of the mother's arms and carries the baby to the to the nursery. Didn't go over real well. Wasn't the greatest move that the man ever made. The lady was incensed. And I think we can understand why. She was greatly offended. And the church thought, what an insensitive way to respond. And ultimately, the man had to resign his position over that incident and then some other insensitive things that he had done as well. But it was, that, was the, that was the climax. That was the thing that became untolerable. And so they couldn't go on any longer. Well, there are situations, unfortunately, that you encounter in church. Shouldn't be that way, but yet it happens, of which things are offensive. Offensive. I grew up in a church setting in my early teens, 
in which our church split. It was very unpleasant. You'd go to church and there'd be, before the church actually split, there'd be people who wouldn't talk to each other. There would be people that would be saying very degrading things about each other. There were things going on behind the scenes that I didn't know about because I was just a teen. But my father was an elder. And the, the thing that I remember most about that entire situation was that my father refused to say anything negative about anyone And you better not say anything in his presence about anyone else. And one night, I remember hearing the uh, knock at the door. And there were a number of elders that came to visit with my father that evening. And so uh, I was sent upstairs And uh, they met, but in our farmhouse, it didn't matter if you were upstairs or not. You could hear whatever was taking place. And I heard the conversation that was was there. And uh, I remember one of the elders said, the reason we came tonight is because we're all leaving the church. And they looked at my dad and said, Kinsey, if you will leave with us, we can put this church under. If you will just stand up with us. We think that the doors of the church will be closed. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I could hear my dad sobbing. I could hear his tears. And weeping. And I can remember the words so plainly. He could hardly get them out. But he said, Brothers, why would you ever want to close the doors of the church? How could that be a victory? I've heard him say, There are a lot of things that I don't agree with. But that will always be my church. And I will serve my God through this church. And he took a stand. I can't tell you what a blessing it is to me that my parents never quit going to church. That they didn't allow the things that were happening and the way in which people were treating them. And unfortunately, the bitterness that was manifesting itself, they never, ever became disloyal or thought about staying home from church. As a result, I got to go every week. And I was ministered unto. And I heard the word of God. 
And one Sunday night, having heard a message, I dedicated myself to being a pastor and wanted to preach and teach the Word of God. All as a result, I believe, of the faithfulness of my parents to persevere through difficult situations in order to attend the house of God and, very importantly, learn to have respect for the house and worship. My dad always treated the pastor with respect. He treated the other elders with respect. And he certainly taught me that you better treat them with respect because they are God's servants. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. But that simple little question that's asked of every parent that dedicates their child to the Lord. You, will you be faithful in bringing your child to church? And will you teach your child reverence and respect for worship? can't tell you how invaluable that is, how important that is, how beneficial that is. Samuel is a prophet, going to be greatly used of God because of the faithfulness of a mother who refused to be turned off, refused to stay home, despite all of the personal situations in her family that made it very unpleasant to go to worship, despite the wrongdoing and the inappropriateness of all the actions of Hophni and Phineas, and then lastly, in the midst of all of that, in her most vulnerable point, to be so miserably approached and falsely accused And yet submit herself and to accept and to continue in the worship of God. What a wonderful example. May God give us a spirit of perseverance, even when we may not want to, but value the importance of being at worship and showing respect for God's house, and God's service. Let's pray. Our Father, help us, help us all, not knowing what it is that we may face, or we encounter, or what our own personal experience is. But Lord, help us to know how important it is to be faithful to the worship of God. How important it is to keep what is most important before us. And not allow our eyes to be taken off of you and begun to look at other people or other situations or other settings or how we have been treated or how we have been maligned. But Lord, help us to come with true expectant hearts, pouring out our adoration and praise to you. And Lord, give us the assurance that even as you met with Hannah, you will meet with us. 
Lord, bless us in our worship of you, we pray in Jesus' name. And the children that are among us, use them for the furtherance of your kingdom, the glory of your name, and their own personal welfare and blessing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.